Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your second week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode of the week. It is 8.17 p.m. on a Wednesday night and I have no idea why my voice kind of rose and then crackled there. Uh, 8.17 on a Wednesday night, the 21st. I am blasting out the door at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning when you're probably going to be listening to this on Thursday and catching a flight here from the Bay Area to Burbank Airport, Bob Hope Airport, on my favorite airline of Budget Kings, Southwest. Going to spend the first half of the day at the home, well, it's the new hometown of Colton Herta, Valencia, California. Uh, I actually dropped Colton a note to say, hey, I don't know where you are in the world, but if you're there, let me know. Maybe you can grab a quick bite or something. But uh, the main reason for the trip going to go down and capture some hopefully interesting and slightly evergreen content at Honda Performance Development. Get to know a lot of the folks behind the scenes that make the IndyCar engines, IMSA engines, aerodynamics, the software and simulation, and just all kinds of stuff. HPD President David Salters has extended a couple of invitations this year saying, hey, if you get a chance, We'd love to have you come on down and just get to know a lot of folks that, for the most part, you're probably either not going to see at the track or just might not be thrust into the front line of what HPD does in front of the cameras. So, great invitation. Looking forward to that. There's one thing specifically I want to do while I'm there. Uh, I'll keep that to myself for now, but if I can do it, uh, that's going to be a little video I cannot wait to show you. Uh, So going to do that for the first half of the day. And the main reason for going down is actually for an event Thursday evening at the Peterson Museum where BMW is unveiling their brand new GTP car for next year's IMSA series. So that's the main reason. And said, well, you know, instead of just catching down a mid-afternoon, late-afternoon flight, why don't I just go down early and take up Mr. Salters on that invite and then run over and do the BMW thing and then head home. So that's the plan. So we'll do my best to power through this show as quickly as we can tonight. Huge thanks as always to Jerry Suddeth for putting this together. Says that we have 2,000 words worth of questions and uh, 40 questions total submitted. So uh, I thank you. Y'all are crazy. Uh, But I thank you nonetheless. Let's say one final thanks here. To the Justice Brothers, their amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants. To TorontoMotorsports.com and their great motor racing memorabilia, hats, t-shirts, you name it. Pay a visit there, TorontoMotorsports.com. And then we usually lead off with Cooper Tires, but figured I'd just drop them here at the end and say a big thanks to them for all they do. Have done, not just for us, but done in racing for quite some time. Really taking great care of the road to Indy, which they'll continue doing next year and the year beyond and so on and so forth. So uh, just really appreciative of good folks who decide to put money and love and action behind the things that are important to us. Uh, That's pretty cool. So that's it. Uh, I got no preamble for you. Um, Learned a couple things today, which I'm still developing, so they're not quite ready for print. But uh, 
Yeah. Um, so we're going to do what we did <laughs> with the last show. And no, I'm not going to hit you with a music bed for a transition from our little preamble to your q and I'm just going to go. It's the stupidest sound effect ever, but I love it. So we're going to blast into the main topic of this week. Uh, let's see, at 500 Indy 1911, uh, at Jack's One, uh, let's see, Thomas Gross, uh, Austin Sutton. Uh, y'all are opening the show asking about our friend, my friend, friend of the paddock, Taylor Kyle, now former president of Aero McLaren SP. So why don't we go with the first question. Was Taylor's departure a surprise to Aaron McLaren SP? Any likely successors? I do believe his tendering of two weeks notice was indeed a surprise. The team told me he notified them. I don't know the specific day, but just before the Monterey IndyCar weekend season finale. So I can tell you, Having spent some time, not a ton of time, but spent some time with Taylor at Portland the weekend prior, and then some time for sure at Laguna Seca, I don't know if I've ever seen a more relaxed and at ease Taylor Kyle. So I don't want to give a false impression that said I knew it was coming uh, and this was when it was going to happen. I will just say that... It's not like he's always super high-strung and that kind of stuff. He's not. He's a pretty mellow, cool guy. But there's usually a little bit of an edge, and that's something you see in pretty much everybody working in motor racing, right? Uh, You can be a cool, relaxed personality, but when you're at the job, when you're at your work, and it's a competitive thing, a sports-based thing, folks usually keep a little bit of pressure on themselves, so it does come across. Not saying Taylor lacked that altogether on the Western swing, but I can tell you that just there was some chill. There was a real extra layer of chill, and it seemed like he was just in a really good place. Uh, On the topic of successors, I genuinely don't know. There have been enough changes at this team this season and at McLaren as well, where I'm not exactly where I would go to get real answers. Um, I kind of don't know. I'll also say I haven't asked, but in thinking about it, uh, my guess would be someone from the McLaren racing side. Now, are there folks out and about in the U.S. with IndyCar experience that might be considered? Possibly, but they're not really coming to mind. Uh, Talking about the folks where Zach Brown would go, ooh, you're going to run our growing, emerging, somewhat kick-ass IndyCar team. Uh, You are the person, your pedigree is one that naturally fits uh, Zach's kind of hyper-aggressive approach to competition. If I'm forgetting someone, then that's on me. But... Uh, again, I'm not talking about somebody who's been doing this for 50 years and is, you know, could be brought back from wherever. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be someone who's a little bit younger and early-ish to midway through their professional career. 
looking at those within the team, and there's no disrespect meant with this statement, but I can't think of anyone within the team to promote into that position uh, that would fit the criteria that someone like Zach would be looking for. So, again, we'll, I'm very interested to find out. Could it be someone with big manufacturer-level WEC IMSA-type experience? Could it be someone, again, a, a manager in and among McLaren's Formula One program or similar? I don't know. Um, there's some folks at some other teams, not necessarily IndyCar teams, but in and around Formula E, like I said, WC, some other places where I'm like, oh, okay, uh, if I was in the position of having to hire Taylor's replacement, I'd probably reach out and inquire here or there. I think some of those folks are under contract and probably multi-year contracts. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if we'd want to get into that whole rigmarole again. I just use the word rigmarole in a podcast. I don't know what that means, but um, yeah, I think it was definitely a surprise to the team. Um, it was a surprise to me in one or two ways. I won't, I'll leave that as it is for right now. Once Taylor gets to his new destination and assuming he's interested in talking about some of this stuff or I might feel a little more comfortable mentioning some of the things that I'm not, um, Maybe we'll get into some of that, but I can tell you this. This is not just me fawning over someone that I have high regard for. His reputation in the paddock is as a nation builder, a team builder, someone that folks love working for, takes great care of them, is that guy was the heart of of Arrow McLaren SP, period, and a statement. Folks went to work there knowing that he was a leader uh, and then became uh, the top leader, right? He was general manager there. I forget his title before that. Pierce Phillips was there running things. This is pre-McLaren. Um, he's been in a leadership role within the team for many, many years, and they have a very tight group of people who work there and have been there for quite some time who love the guy, are super loyal to him, etc., etc. They've also brought on a lot of new-ish or straight-up new folks. And I'm not speaking for all of them. I'm sure everybody, you know, there's always a couple folks who don't like the boss. But I'm just saying in general, uh, he's their guy. And when the heart of a team leaves... You can put someone into the role that doesn't necessarily mean that the allegiances and love just automatically fall to that man, that woman, that whomever that might take that position. So I do not envy whomever is going to replace Taylor. I would also say, and this falls under the contract thing as well, uh, a lot of teams have gone from just, you know, hey, got our mechanics got our whomevers and they work for us and cool. And, you know, maybe they signed a, a one-year deal or whatever. You got a lot of teams who are being super protective about their staff, 
signing them to multi-year contracts and really being very protective, knowing how hard quality, quality uh, workforces to come by in motor racing these days. But I can just tell you, wherever Taylor ends up, you're probably going to have a number of people submitting their resumes to go to work for that team. Again, assuming they're able to and they're not breaking any contracts and whatever, but he's one of not too many people in his position in IndyCar where folks will generally fall. Hey, I'll go wherever you go. <laughs> You're going, I'm going. Um, there are some folks who are just as good, maybe even better than Taylor at being the president of an IndyCar team. Might not, though, foster that same level of love and loyalty because maybe they're a hard ass or maybe they go about things in a different way. So this guy is very unique. Um, options, certainly. There are a couple of teams that come to mind. Uh, and I'll get to that here in just a moment. Um, Jack Swan, you asked about what can I share about the management changes at Aero McLaren SP? I'll just rattle off a couple things here because I covered off a little bit of that. Um, this has been a tough year, a little more than a tough year. It's been a lot of crazy drama and nonsense going on. I think I captured most of that in my article I did for Racer about Taylor leaving. Uh, if you are the person trying to run an organization and you have someone who is above you somewhere else and they keep making things harder and harder, and harder, and harder. I know I would be someone who would say, wonder if there's somewhere else for me to do what I do, where I'm not having to worry about what's going to blow up tomorrow that I didn't do, and I didn't create, but is certainly going to fall on my shoulders. Uh, what kind of blowback am I going to get from whichever senior most person who's done whatever? Um, I can tell you, that might weigh on somebody. Uh, that might have somebody saying, you know what? Um, there's cartoon anvils raining on me. <laughs> and there's kind of one primary source of where they're being launched from. Maybe I want to stop having cartoon anvils fall on me. That's my mindset. That's how I would view a year like they just had. There have been other changes this year, too. Um... McLaren's head of communications, Tim Bampton, he left. That was in May, I believe, towards the end of May, uh, for personal reasons. And again, there, there's nothing really team or there's nothing bad in terms of something happened at the team or whatever. Tim left and again, all the wishes and blessings to him. Um, but on the Air McLaren SP side, Reed Atherton, who I forget his exact title, but he was kind of seniorish person there on the, the business and, and whatever development and other side. And I might be getting a little bit of that wrong, but, uh, you know, someone not too far from Taylor in terms of job title or responsibility, definitely senior management at Aaron McLaren SP. Uh, he, I don't know if he left or was asked to leave, but he's no longer in the building. It's been that way for a little bit. Uh, Phil Zielinski, who was Aaron McLaren SP's head of communications, uh, he 
tendered his resignation and left about two weeks after the Indy 500. Uh, our friend Chris Wheeler, co-host of our Racing Family show, uh, he was gone the, basically when the checkered flag was waved uh, Monterey. He was done, uh, and you know, he had told me privately for a while he was planning to leave. Um, obviously, he was then followed by Taylor, right? Taylor, the, those two are actually best friends, grew up together. Um, yeah. Uh, there's been... <laughs> what's the word? What's the... the nondescript word to use that doesn't quite say it as sharply as you might. Uh, there's been an ongoing evolution of the employment roster at Aaron McLaren SP. And I can tell you some of the folks that I mentioned, not all, but some of them, highly talented and enriched the team to a great degree. So uh, I obviously wish nothing but the best for the folks who have left, but also for the team to find folks and plug into the various roles that are needed. Uh, they replaced Phil with Lauren Gideon. She's just getting up to speed, but um, I've only been impressed with her and her efforts so far. So uh, I don't think Taylor will be the last person to leave. Unrelated to the note I mentioned of him having a lot of loyal folks who um, would, would follow him anywhere, there are a couple other folks I'm aware of who... Uh, what's the, uh, the, the main source song? Uh, they're looking at the front door. They've been looking at the front door for a little while. Uh, not getting into who, not getting, just sharing that, that I will not be surprised if some other folks there who pretty darn good at what they do, um, end up getting announced as joining other teams. So yeah, I think the general crazy aggressive approach to things over the last 10, 11, however many months, um, and how that's affected the Indiana-based team and how some of this hyper-aggressiveness really is just out of character for how we do things in IndyCar. I think we might be, might have been witnessing and might continue to witness some of the after-effects of that. Um... Rock the boat a little bit, folks will try and steady themselves. If the boat's constantly rocking, sometimes folks get tired of constantly vomiting overboard and being seasick and say, you know what? Uh, calmer waters, calmer seas over there. That's where I'm going. Uh, this is an interesting question from Thomas Gross. He said, did the Taylor, Kyle, and Mike Hull relationship have anything to do with Kyle departing AMSP? Hard to see how the leaders of the organizations in Chip Ganassi and Zach Brown could have such dislike for each other, and yet the team presidents are having family dinners on the regular. Seems like this would create an organizational rub. Really interesting uh, note here. I had not thought of that at all. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Mike Hole's wife, Melinda Hole. Uh, is the mother of Taylor Kyle. Uh, Taylor Kyle grew up with Mike Hull as his father slash stepfather. He's a stepfather, obviously, but was raised uh, by Mike 
loves him dearly, loves his mom dearly, obviously. Uh, but yes, we have had for a good while now. It's not something that gets played up too much in the media or TV or whatever. I don't exactly know why, but uh, yes, we have stepfather leading the Ganassi team, stepson leading the Air McLaren SP team. Uh, Zach and Chip, very true. Two of them do not like one another at all. It's more heavily directed from Chip towards Zach, uh, but Zach also not a Chip Ganassi fan. But yes, um, I can tell you for sure that the peace and love between Mike Hull and Taylor Kyle has existed the entire time Taylor has worked at Sam Schmidt Motorsport, then Schmidt Hamilton Motorsport, Schmidt Peterson Motorsport, Schmidt whatever whatever sport, uh, now Air McLaren SP. So this is nothing new. Uh, the relationship between the two of them is just as good as it was this year as it was last year when Taylor was the president and the year before that and so on. Um, I mean, sitting down to uh, catch up with Mike Hull and I think uh, Scott Dixon's spotter Robbie Fast for 20 minutes or so at the first race of this year, for example. Uh, St. Pete uh, caught up with Mike at his motor coach, which was parked in the paddock there. And who's inside their motor coach? Quote, and I'm saying there as if it's just Mike and Melinda's, but who's inside and then comes outside? Uh, Melinda and Taylor's amazing wife, Katie, and their baby girl, their less than a year old baby, Quinn. So here at the track, <laughs> right? Holes and Kyle's uh, full family together um, at the end of the day. And what, at Texas? Uh, was invited to stop by and as Taylor was at the back in the motor coach lot. I think he was cooking up uh, steak and vegetables and whatever else while Mike was. I don't know, preparing a salad and Melinda was doing something uh, while Wheeler is there with them as well. And, uh, and Katie and family and everything and sent me off with a, a really nice plate uh, to bring back uh, at the hotel. I think we actually had, I think Wheeler and I had to do a racing family episode and I think Taylor even joined in, but I know it might sound oh boy, this is really spicy and there's got to be something going on there and how could they separate church and state? It's what they've done the entire time. This is nothing new at all. Uh, Mike does not tell Taylor a single thing about what is going on at Ganassi and vice versa because that is what they should absolutely not be doing. Um, their integrity, impeccable. Really and truly impeccable. Other thing, too, is if they were giving each other little notes and secrets and whatnot, and that was something they actually did, these things would become evident at some point in time. Like, we'd know whether it was a driver, whether it was a crew member, whether it was a sponsor, whatever it is. Uh, these th There'd be some linkage to follow. There'd be breadcrumbs. There's none because that's not how they get down. So... 
we do have the exact scenario you're mentioning, Thomas, of stepfather, stepson running two competing IndyCar teams who leave their day jobs in the garage at the end of the day, go and meet up, have dinner, be a family together, love on one another. Keep in mind, uh, you know, this is Mike and Melinda's granddaughter <laughs> that they're they're loving on as well. And, you know, I mean, do they say, boy, you know, you kicked our butt today or whatever it is, you know, that kind of small talk. I think that would be normal. But anything beyond that? No. Uh, not at all. So we do have the scenario you mentioned here, Thomas, where the men who happen to own the teams or run the teams at the highest position, not fans, but their uh, their lieutenants, their their second in commands. Um, yeah, proof of how you can coexist and do good things. Uh, Austin Sutton, you close the uh, all Taylor Kyle uh, open to this episode by asking his. Taylor retiring for good? Is he looking for new opportunities? If so, where do you think he goes? Not retiring. He's only like 30-something. I don't know. But yeah, he's not that old. Um, Not retiring. Uh, Looking for new opportunities? Yes. Uh, When he and I spoke uh, 15 minutes after he let the world know in social media, uh, we did not get into any like private stuff of where you're going and what offers do you have. I don't think he'd tell me, so I don't even bother asking. Uh, so telling you genuinely, I don't know. But I do know that, yes, he does have opportunities. If I'm looking in the paddock and saying, where does a Taylor Kyle have an immediate impact in not only being the leader of the team, but also in you know maybe having some folks saying, boy, uh, I'd love to uh, continue working for you. Few stand out. I won't. We could spend all night talking about whether he would replace somebody at this team, or just be a complementary component to someone who's already in a managerial-ish uh, situation. But first one that stands out is Andretti Autosport. Uh, Michael Andretti has some big ambitions for the future as well. Um, I could see Taylor slotting into a lot of positions. I could see, if we're just talking staying local, keeping in mind, again, he's based in Indiana, uh, young family. He's probably not going to be flying over and helping with Formula E or Extreme E stuff. But could I see Michael maybe moving a, a piece or two within his management team to look after some some newer or ongoing programs elsewhere? and saying, hey, Taylor, Kyle, uh, we would like you to run the IndyCar team. Got to admit, I think that would be a fairly brilliant thing because there's a need for some new energy, new, new, just new. And, yeah, uh, I think he'd be an amazing fit there. I don't know if they would agree. Uh, Mike Hull is a person who runs Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, I've heard, I've had a lot of people tell me that, Taylor's headed there, and I'm like, okay, well, if that's the case, where does his stepdad go? Because his stepdad, to my knowledge, has no intention of ever retiring, ever, 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 ever. Uh, After that, I know Ed Carpenter Racing would definitely, is definitely a place that uh, I think Taylor would be additive to for sure. Um, The main one that jumps out, 
would be Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Um, Taylor, again, used to work under their team president. I think that's his title. Pierce Phillips. Uh, I'll save comment on where I think Pierce is uh, best slotted in talent-wise, but I can tell you that uh, I think if Pierce were to focus fully on the team's new BMW GTP program, got a big sports car background there, and Taylor would just slot in as president of the IndyCar program, uh, boy, I think RLL goes to much bigger bigger places, bigger heights. But again, it's easy for me to say that from sitting here. Just tell you that, boy, Andretti in particular or RLL, the two of those jump out to me the most as places where if they were to make that offer, if they haven't already, um, I think those teams turn around uh, mucho faster O. That was my attempt to speak another language. (laughs) Sorry, had to do it. Uh, Why don't we go to Craig Yerush, or Yirish. I apologize if I murdered your last name. Uh, And thanks for sending this in, Craig. Feels like this might be your first submission. It says, how did the series do this year in terms of attendance, TV audience, revenue? Is the trajectory up or down on what can be done to grow the sport? You have just asked a series of questions, Craig, that we could uh, spend the rest of the episode on. Uh, I don't have figures on attendance. Uh, TV audience per IndyCar slash NBC's number was up 5% over last year. Revenue is not something that IndyCar ever speaks to. So attendance is really the only one where I would hope to get some insights on there. Even that, knowing that they are the promoter of a handful of, uh, of events, but the rest are all done either privately, uh, through privately owned organizations, some county, state-level involvement. It's a lot of different folks who put on the events. None of them, to my knowledge, uh, not all of them, I should say, are always inclined to say how many folks showed up. So it's not meant to be a dodge to your question. It's just trying to be honest and saying, you ask these questions, and some folks give you the answer, and some folks just don't respond. So I don't know if that's something we're going to have a full grasp on. Uh, as for the trajectory, I mean, I gotta say things are up, right? Looks like it was a, a slightly better year in some regards. Attendance in some areas we could see for sure was a little bit better. Some places, Texas being the, the standout was abysmal and there's still some tracks. Portland is another one where thanks to all of you, uh, came out and it looked a little better than it did last year, but Still a little bit soft. Um, so again, Barber, on the other hand, was freaking packed, uh, especially on race day. That was fantastic. Indy GP, eh, uh, the Brickyard weekend. Eh, but I came away. Let's let me let's use me as the most informal metric possible, Craig. I came away from the season feeling like. In general, 
things were pointing upwards and there was progress made. IndyCar's social media footprint improved for sure, still light years behind Formula One and NASCAR. Those are the standards of reference. Um, here's, again, maybe this, I'll just close on this. Uh, in what, while I was at the, in between the Iowa doubleheader and the Brickyard GP or whatever weekend we should call that, staying over in the Midwest between those two, I got a email from ESPN saying, hey, uh, we'd like to add some IndyCar coverage because uh, we think it's starting to rise up a little bit. Uh, would you be interested? And ended up being interested. Filed two columns now there, one in, uh, one in August, one in September here. Just got the commission for the next one of what they want me to write about. So I'm not saying that's the answer to all. But the fact that in late July, early August, um, the worldwide leader, uh, ESPN, reached out and said, Hi, uh, we cover the heck out of Formula One and cover the heck out of NASCAR. Less so NASCAR these days. But uh, we feel like we're lacking IndyCar. Can you help us there? I take that as a meaningful recognition by a very powerful uh, property in the media world. So I'll go with that and hopefully have some actual numbers for some things to uh, bring to the show here in the very near future. So thanks again, Craig. Uh, Anders Egeland, you say if Linus Lundqvist doesn't at least drive a few races this next season, is the ladder broken? If so, how can IndyCar fix the last step on its own ladder? He closes by saying, because the way I see it, you can't make a better campaign than Linus did uh, during his three years so far in the U.S. Totally agree with you there. So, a couple things. Uh, filed two stories tonight about Indie Lights. Uh, one of them pretty heavily angled toward Linus. I don't know if that second story is going to go up or if that is something that will be held and pushed out uh, so it's not two Indie Light stories on the same day. Um, main thing to mention here, I've been told from a person of authority, authority, <laughs> that if Linus, by chance, does not run an IndyCar next season, his advancement prize, his scholarship will be deferred until the point in time that he does, hoping that would be 2024. So that's a good thing. That's good news. Uh, whether it's engine supply issue where can't land at a team because they don't have any vacancies and no engines would be made available or budgetary, whatever, good to know that his advancement prize is protected. The thing that I wrote about, and this is a fact because I've spent... I spent many hours today on the phone, emailing, uh, adding and double, triple checking accuracy here, uh, and finally had IndyCar and Indy Lights confirm this 
because there was confusion about this. I was initially told I was wrong, but both have confirmed exactly what I started hearing about uh, shortly after the IndyCar and Indy Lights banquet uh, and prize-giving ceremony last weekend, and that is massive cut to the Indy Lights champion advancement package. So a little bit of, of quick rewind. Mazda, when they signed on, I think 2010 is when they signed on to partner with Anderson Promotions Road to Indy. Um, no real involvement with Indy Lights at the time. But when they signed on there, they had this ladder system. Apologize. This uh, prize-giving advancement package that they put together really to help the drivers uh, using Mazda-powered engines in their Road to Indy content. So that was cool. When IndyCar, which owns Indy Lights, tried multiple years, and some good folks, Jason Penix is one of them, a couple of folks really were very passionate about trying to do something here. Tony George's son as well. Um, they really were trying to add some life back to Indy Lights. Mid-2000s, latter stages of the 2000s, 2007, 8, 9, a little bit too, there were still some pretty big numbers on what was then called, I think it was still called then, the uh, Infinity Pro Series, IPS. That was the Indy Racing League's version of Indy Lights. Numbers started to fall off. Uh, especially when the merger between Champ Car and uh, what, the renamed Indy Racing League, the IndyCar Series, when that came together. And so they tried in the early 2000s to reinvigorate Indy Lights, realizing the chassis was getting a bit old. Nissan had stopped. Uh, Nissan slash Infinity had stopped backing things and putting money behind it. The engines just were generic engines. They're still... Nissan slash Infinity V8 engines, they just weren't badged as such. So just there was a bit of a downtime for Indy Lights. And so some genuinely good folks at IndyCar were trying to resuscitate it. They put out bids for folks to come up with new chassis designs. And these things happened in and around 2011, 2012. Ultimately, there was a decision to just not put the money behind this whole renovation project. And it continued to fall on somewhat harder times. The end of 2013, IndyCar said, Hey, Dan Anderson and Anderson Promotions, who runs USF 2000, the first step of the road to Indy, and Star Mazda slash Pro Mazda. Um, hey, uh, how about taking on Indy Lights? We'll license it to you. You'll basically take over Indy Lights, and it's yours. We're not able to take it to where it needs to go. To which Dan said, great, got it. Former Indy Lights entrant, um, very successful businessman, construction and, and other things, plus just a great person and a huge heart. He and his daughter, Michelle Kish, just invaluable folks in the world of junior open wheel racing. So Dan said, yes, I'll do it. And Dan soon commissioned a new car. That came in 2015, the Delara IL-15. Mazda was involved with a new engine, four-cylinder turbo, yada, yada, like 
great stuff. All the stuff IndyCar couldn't do. Dan and Michelle and the whole Anderson Promotions team and other good folks. Tony Kotman was involved and just, right, new car, new this, new energy. Everything's great and moving. And one of the things that happened, and this is coming back to this insane revelation last weekend, one of the good things that happened, continuing the tradition of what Mazda had been doing, albeit on the lower rungs of the Road Indy, was, hey, we have this Champions Advancement Prize thing going on, uh, where the winner of the USF 2000 gets a prize fund from Anderson Promotions and Mazda and some of the other partners, and it's enough to cover a full ride, full scholarship, stepping up to the next category, that being... Uh, Star Mazda slash Pro Mazda. And hey, whomever wins the Mazda, the, the Star Mazda Championship, right? They get full boat ride to Indy Lights. We're going to give you the money uh, and whatever else is needed to get you there and cover off the budget. In some cases, you know, team might ask for a little more than what the prize fund was, but very long story short, it was enough to get them in a seat or within 90% of the budget. Huge thing. Win the championship. We are sending you to the next level. In some instances, uh, we've had amazing scenarios like a Spencer Piggott, who I believe was the first to win out the whole way. USF 2000 champion, advancement prize, free ride in the second tier, champion, free ride to Indy Lights, champion advancement prize 1.1 1. 1, 1. point whatever million to indycar and so this whole thing of the advancement prize for an indy lights champion uh was formed between anderson promotions and indycar when anderson promotions took over the series in 2014 and it worked lovingly right indycar said okay we will put in 500 grand for this scholarship and Anderson said, great, I'll put in the other five. And again, with help from Mazda and Cooper Tires and whatever, there's a lot of good folks making this happen. A $1 million advancement prize was announced for the 2014 Indy Lights champion, that being Gabby Chavez. And it wasn't just the money being announced. It was the guarantee. Win the Lights title, million bucks, three races in IndyCar, guaranteed, one of them being the Indy 500. Wow, that's a massive incentive. Uh, running a season in Indy Lights, it's fluctuated over the years with different cars and whatever eras, but you're going to spend roughly a million bucks. Back when I was working in Indy Lights for teams, working on teams in Indy Lights, same thing. So even 25 plus years ago, I realize inflation changes the numbers to what they're worth today, but I think we had one driver... Mark Hotchkiss, who is on about 900000 uh, for his season in Indy Lights with us at General Racing. And his teammate Dave De Silva was at about $1.1 A couple more bells and whistles for Dave, maybe a little bit more testing. But nonetheless, about a million bucks. Um, so, hey, mom, dad, uh, your son, your daughter, who you think has talent, Spend that million bucks 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10, 5, whatever. Heck, this past season, you'd spend a million, million and a half, depending on the team. Spend that million bucks, and if your son, daughter, whomever has the talent, they can win the championship and get that advancement prize of a million dollars or slightly more 
and get those three guaranteed races, including the mother of them all, the Indy 500. So that started in 2014 when Anderson took over Indy Lights. That continued through 2021 with our friend Kirk Kirkwood, uh, Kyle Kirkwood, who took home $1.2 million. How was that broken down? Five, the same 500 from IndyCar, up, raised up to 720000 from Anderson Promotions. So combine those two, that's how you get to $1.2 million. Final season of Anderson running Indy Lights. Got it. Handed the series back to Penske. Penske wanted it, said we're taking control back. Great, did so. Met with team owners last October, the end of October, at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Chris Griffiths Memorial Test. Leadership was introduced. Levi Jones, the uh, director of Indy Lights, was introduced. Roger Penske was there, told the teams, team owners, team principals, you name it, on the topic of the advancement prize. It will stay the same or increase for the champion. Everyone said, great, amazing. So a little caveat added of, we're not exactly sure what that's going to be, right? Is that 1.2 in cash? Is that whatever lesser amount in cash, but here's a big meaningful thing that you get for the first time, like a free engine lease from Chevy or Honda or free tire lease from Firestone, right? Either one of those would have been worth either close to a million or 1.2 on their own, but came away saying we're committing to holding that number of 1.2 for the champ, if not increasing it. Everyone said, great. In January, a memo was sent out saying, hey, we're doing something new. We're going to add prize money in for each race. That's not something Anderson Promotions did. So IndyCar outlined, if you win an Indy Lights race, you get 20 grand. Finish second, you get 15. Third is 10. Fourth is five. Only covers the top four. And the champion gets $500,000. Got it. Speaking with team owners, team principals, you name it, they have all said that saw the memo based on what we were told in October when they said we're not exactly sure how we're going to get to the 1.2 or more, but again, we'll get there. They just assumed, okay, so here they're stating they're putting in 500 cash. There's more to come to meet what they said they would do. Fast forward to last weekend's championship ball, and Linus Lindqvist has handed a cartoon check for 500 grand and a painting uh, by the great artist and IndyCar starter Jim Swintall, whose wife Diane, who's a, they're both friends, but Diane's a, a dear friend. She's been part of the road to India on the communications side for a long time. Um, that's it, y'all. <laughs> Nothing else. And so I started hearing about that from all kinds of folks uh, right after this banquet saying, uh, yeah. So... 500, as I remember in my math classes, is less than $1.2 million. And so sought clarity about that from Indy Lights Director Levi Jones, who, yes, confirmed that is what it is, said they spent 730 or 735 on prize money, 
going to the teams for each race, which is, again, it's truly a great thing. Slight modifier here. That goes to the teams. That money is paid to the teams, not the drivers. And I don't know if any drivers negotiated in their contracts coming into the season that they would get a percentage of that. I would just suggest that most did not. Uh, And the vast majority of that money went to the teams. So again, that's great for the teams. That's not what I'm worried about, though. Here we have Linus Lundqvist, and potentially, unless this changes, uh, whomever wins the next Indy Lights Championship and the next Indy Lights Championship, um, with a 58% reduction in prize money. Uh, I'm just mentioning all the things I wrote in the article, so again, I don't know if it's going to be posted or not anytime soon, but the average price that I heard from drivers and some teams with Indy 500 seats to offer, Indy-only seats, more expensive than ever this last May. About the low end that I heard was 800, and there weren't many of those. More like 1 to 1.2 on average, some 1.5. Like, there's some, like, whoa-type numbers for just Indy-only seats. What does 500 grand get you? It sure doesn't get you into the Indy 500. And with no guarantee of the 500 plus two other races, I just don't know what that 500 exactly gets Linus or any other driver. Uh, Granted, could a team slot you into a third car for a race or two if that's the only budget you have? Sure. Is this the thing that we have seen as the tradition for the Indy Lights champion, who, for the most part, every year is a driver we consider to be someone with real talent who could make an impact in IndyCar, be a future star, whatever. Again, not all of them have fallen into that category, but, boy, a lot of them have. We're now, for the first time in a good long while, for reasons I don't fully understand leaving our Indy Lights champion kind of sort of stuck at the altar. So that part, to me, is very frustrated. So it's a very long story, Anders, but I figure I may as well tell you the whole story here. So does that break the ladder? Potentially. If Linus cannot get to IndyCar because this $1.2 million, which is by no means enough to complete a season, it's about 20-ish percent of a budget, um, but that's been an important thing, whether it's a Kyle Kirkwood, Oliver Askew, Pato Award, etc., etc. Being able to do a full season, having something to spend, uh, being able to go to a team and say, hi, I know we still need a lot more, but I've got a pretty decent chunk as a starting point. Um, how can we work on finding the rest? Or do you have your own sponsors? Am I a young driver you'd want to get behind? Showing up with 500 grand, the context here to apply is Lewis Foster, who just won the Anderson Promotions owned and run Indy Pro 2000 title, has $614,000 worth of an advancement package to bring to land in any light seat. So yes, just for those who don't like having to do math, 
the kid who just won the middle tier of the Road to Indy, one that is run by Anderson Promotions, not Penske Entertainment, received an, a scholarship and advancement package worth $114,000 more than the kid who just kicked ass, took names, and won the Indy Lights Championship. That, to me, is really and truly saddening. So, there's that. So, yeah, uh, money, Anders. Um, I don't know why we have, have just kicked the legs out from under our new champ, but yeah. Uh, I've heard some other things that are a little encouraging about Linus, some possibilities for next year. This might all end up being not an issue for him, but who knows what it's going to be like for the new champion. So who knows? Maybe he makes it nowhere in IndyCar next year. Maybe he does. I can just tell you that with 500 grand to offer a team, that will sway absolutely no one. Uh, Jeremy Lorton says, do you think that Jamie Chadwick test with Andretti will lay the groundwork for her to get into the pipeline? Very talented driver that could do very well um, with the right tutors and right team. I do. Uh, was I texted with her later today. I tried to connect with Jamie to do a little interview and talk about how the test went. Uh, she happened to uh, hop on a plane before I was able to connect with her. So uh, we texted while she was in the air back home, so we're going to connect in the morning and talk about that. Uh, I can tell you that I uh, communicated with Andretti COO Rob Edwards, who said they were super impressed. Uh, she did a lot of mileage and just rave reviews. Also spoke with our boy Kirk Kirkwood, who was there supporting, uh, again, our 2021 Indy Lights champ, and he had nothing but positive things to say about her in terms of speed, how quickly she adapted, feedback, just everything. Um, both himself and Edwards um, really, really high on uh, what Jamie did in this test, but also just everything about her as well, fitting in with the team and just, yeah. So... I think she has done everything to confirm to Andretti that, yes, she is ready. It's the biggest, fastest car, she open-wheel car she's, uh, she's driven. But, yeah, everything that we learned was positive, and I hope to learn more from her when we get a chance to speak. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura, you're asking a question that a couple folks have asked me about. Uh, Fritz Van Aerd. The CEO of Jumbo, the Dutch supermarket chain, was arrested, um, suspect in a money laundering investigation in Holland uh, through motorsport sponsorships. You see, although he's been released from custody, he remains a suspect. Do you think it'll have any negative effects to Renus VK's IndyCar campaign? Uh, I do not. Could be wrong. Don't think I am, but I'm always open to being wrong because I am a lot. Um... I do believe that Jumbo was a important player in Renus's rookie campaign, rookie season in IndyCar with ECR. From what I understand, after that, uh, really not so much. And I don't say that in a, in a critical or negative way, just I think they were very important in getting Renus into IndyCar. I don't know how much they spent, but I am aware that they were 
uh, a spender. And I believe year two and now year three, uh, I don't really believe that's been the case. So I think, I believe they're a personal sponsor of Renus, but I don't believe they have any responsibility that I'm aware of uh, with the funding of his IndyCar. So other than an unfortunate thing taking place with someone who is close to the family, I don't think this will have any impact on Renus driving racing cars for Ed. Uh, let's see. Let me scroll through here and find a couple more quickly. I am going to try and leave this uh, short at about an hour or so. Uh, Richard Ng, you asked if uh, Will Powers Double Birds are going to make an appearance during his championship celebrations here at some point. I hope. Oh, I just really, really and truly hope. Uh, Zach Dean, you're asking for a little bit of background on Taylor Kyle's career. Uh, he started at Sam Schmidt Motorsports back in 2007, 2008 as a gopher, like I was back when I first started, uh, just sweeping the floor and uh, trying not to get fired. So he is one of the great success stories in IndyCar of someone who has genuinely... I'm not talking about starting at the bottom of the IndyCar team. I mean the bottom of the Indy Lights team and worked his way all the way up to become president of Air McLaren SP. So, yeah, pretty amazing. And he came, he went there straight out of college. Uh, IU, Indiana University. Um, let's see... Uh, Edgar Brambia. He say MP had an amazing time watching IndyCar Road to Indy and even the stock cars at Portland. Says the next day I drove up to Washington State to enjoy some World of Outlaw sprint cars. Wouldn't it be great if IndyCar and other series cross-promoted events with local tracks? I'd be amazing. Um, I'd love it. You'd love it. I think as fans we would love it. There's definitely a, a bit of protectionism, though, right? Hey, why would we want to encourage our fans to go somewhere else? Um, even though it benefits everybody, I think that's one of the limiting factors, first of all. And then second, you know, a, uh, an indie car isn't necessarily talking to a world of outlaws. Uh, the folks promoting, the folks at PIR... Uh, Portland International Raceway, they aren't exactly talking to whichever um, short oval that you went to in Washington uh, about uh, an event that doesn't have anything to do with them. So would we benefit in a wider capacity? Yes. Uh, just really not something that happens a whole bunch. Um, uh, Dan Mayhew says, hoping to head over to the States here to visit the office and, and Raleigh, North, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, it says, your UK base. Going to do that next year. Would love to catch an IndyCar race while out there. What is the best or closest to that area? Uh, he said, you've done a bunch of uh, UK races, British Touring Car and British GT, and love to experience the uh, a US race day. Well, not exactly sure when you're coming over, so that is the part where I would uh, need to know in order to help with where I might suggest you go. Um, in terms of locations that would be close to North Carolina in terms of an IndyCar race, yeah, there. I mean, there's nothing close. Uh, there'd be a fair amount of driving east or south uh, or even north. So, again, 
nothing that is really truly close. But um, if we're talking a Nashville, uh, if we're talking a, a Mid Ohio, um, Lexington, there, uh, you can keep going east. Uh, you might hit a Wisconsin or a Michigan. Um, once you get a feel for when you think you're going to be coming over, uh, let me know, Dan. And uh, whether it's here, if you want to send me a DM or an email uh, through the contact page on the marshallpruittpodcast.com site, uh, do that, and I will happily point you towards uh, the finer suggestions I can make. I should also mention that uh, we're about a week away from getting next year's schedule, so that'll make it even easier (laughs) to suggest where you might go once I know when you're going to be here. Uh, Clem Fandango. It's the best name in the history of Earth. Uh, again, I don't wouldn't assume that, that it's your actual name on a birth certificate, but if it is, truly the best thing ever. Uh, hey, MP, long-time listener, but my first ever question. Thanks, Clem. I love it when folks send in first questions. It's always cool to add more uh, folks to the family here. So I know it's very unlikely, but as a British indie fan, humor me, um, if the, the folks... At Donington wanted to bring IndyCar over. What would it actually take? Would they be expected to cover Team's Freight, too? You're kind enough to say best wishes to you and your wife. Yes, 100%. Basically, the reason IndyCar does not do international races, other than them saying we don't see a lot of value in doing international races at the moment, and I mean real international. I don't mean like trucks driving to Mexico or Canada. I mean like, hey, there's a lot of water between us and where we're going or rainforests and huge, right? Wow, this is a long ways away. Um, It's the getting the things there part that is really tough in terms of the finances. So in general, an IndyCar will be expected to be paid a nice wedge of money to show up and put on an event and bring their stars and cars and equipment and without a doubt the promoter is expected to pay for all of that air freight some of it might go by boat if depending on what it is if it's the opening race of the year um, or maybe even the closing race and there's a decent gap on the calendar where some things could be uh, sent uh, via ship at a much lower price these things could happen. But for the most part, it's putting a lot of things on jumbo jets and sending them across. So I don't know what it would cost. Again, it depends what part of the world. I know you're talking about Donington, of course. That'd be amazing, but it feels like right now and maybe for the foreseeable future, these are things that would be very cost prohibitive. I would, though, love to meet the person the promoter, the wealthy person who says, yes, take a lot of my money because I want to see IndyCars race in the UK or Australia or Japan or wherever. So count me in. Um, Ed Joris, you send in a good question uh, about engines and subsidies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, If you're happening to listen, fire that back in for next week. It's a little bit of evergreen thing, so... Uh, just in the interest of keeping this episode not too long, uh, I'll, I'll punt that to next week. So send that back through if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Kurt Pose, you're, you, I know you've been wanting to know for a little while about age of chassis and is there anyone running an original one? 
I don't know, brother. Uh, I think I know who to ask to get that answered, but uh, that would take a decent amount of time and homework to make happen. And I don't dislike questions like this if I know the answer, but in general, going on a, a wandering down a rabbit hole to answer a question for a somewhat quick Q and weekly Q and a show. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge. Um, so yeah, maybe if you remember as well, fire this in next week. And, uh, I think I should have some time, uh, if I don't remember to do so on my own, uh, see your question next week and then hopefully ask the folks who, uh, might know the answer. Uh, Indy Nathan, let me see. I'm just uh, going to look through. Oscar Love, you're asking about how much it would cost to design and build a new chassis. Yeah, the design side, meh. That's, that's not much of a cost. How much it would cost to build a new chassis? All depends, right? <laughs> what is it? Um, what's it made out of? How many are being made? Uh, what kind of technologies are being used? Um, right? It's one of those things that it's really hard to say until you know what it is they're wanting to build. Will anything be carried over from the current car? Again, is it brakes? Is it the tub? The actual uh, air quote safety cell? Again, I don't know. Um, so yeah, until we have a idea of what they want to do, it's hard to answer that. But um, yeah, a deeper, deeper answer awaits. Just need a little bit of data points on this, brother, to know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah, Ian Keyworth, you're asking about um, when the IndyCar schedule will be out. Just mentioned it will be out next week. Uh, you mentioned, would IndyCar consider a support race at the new Las Vegas F1 track? Um, I assume you mean IndyCar being the support race compared to Indy Lights? Um At no point in time would a 111-year-old open-wheel championship based in North America show up to be the opening act, the, the undercard, for a visiting mostly European international open-wheel series. Um, it's kind of like asking whether Jay-Z would open for Lil Baby, if you happen to follow hip-hop at all. Like, you go, hey, that's cool, but, like, you're, like, the OG, and this is kind of yours and your territory. Would you show up and be the second most important series participating in an event? Like, yeah. Um, just got to keep in mind that the minute you do that, you signal to your teams, your sponsors, your everything that you don't think you're particularly valuable. Um, this is telling the world, yep, we are second tier. We acknowledge through our choice to be a support race for Formula One that we see ourselves as less than. Um, it's... What what's the new? I'm trying to remember which one of the new um, football 
organizations exist. Was it the XFL that's coming back, I think, again for like the second or third time? It's a bit like asking, would the NFL put on a game before uh, an XFL game? To which you'd go, no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> this is, again, the the pride-filled organization that domestically in its realm is the number one and has been for a long time. There's no way it's going to show up and be the opening act. So, just sharing there, brother. Uh... SRT Nick 12 asking if Jack Harvey's in danger of being out. Uh, again, I don't think so. Um, yeah, don't think so. But I know that, again, I've heard lots of rumors of he might be. But, yeah, uh, if that happens, it will come as a surprise. But uh, I don't rule out anything because this year's been chock full of surprise. Ziz. Uh, Jameen Tuttle, you ask, what a year. Feel like the silly season gets even sillier every year. And you very true do notice that the supporting cast managers mechanics engineers are getting more fan reactions to their off-season moves the last few years feels like the fan base investment into the sport is getting deeper great recognition totally agree say is this a thing or just wishful thinking no it's a thing um you say the more invested and deeper uh core fans get seems to pull in more casual fans totally agree uh i'm not saying what I'm about to say because I'm trying to do any patting on my own back or anything like that. I'm just sharing something that has been very intentional so, since I started this whole thing as a reporter and writer uh, what, what, 16 years ago? That's scary. Um, as a former crew guy, engineer, manager, whatever monkey, mechanic, it has been an intentional thing that I have tried to do to bring whether it's chief mechanics, uh, the race engineers, team managers, try and have them as steady, regular voices, not just the team owner or the driver. Those two are always the most recognizable in our sport. No NASCAR has been pretty solid in doing the crew member, crew chief, like the team side for a really long time. So again, I'm not saying anything I've tried to do since I joined the media side is original in any way just trying to overshare though a little bit that uh i love telling you about this race engineer interviewing them or having them on the podcast or whatever it might be or a team manager telling you about some of the folks behind the scenes that aren't uh the first second or third person that a you know nbc sports puts a microphone in front of um just honestly just been trying to give love to the folks that I know and have worked with or folks in those positions uh, that have been familiar to me. Um, so I'm not saying whatever I've done has had any impact, just saying that I do love your recognition of what I believe to be true, and that is folks want to know more about the Taylor Kyles and the Chris Simmonses and the Eve Tourons and the whomever that are key, key elements in the success of their teams or uh, things changing uh, for the better with their teams. So, yeah, I, I do believe it's happening more. And if anything, just needs, reminds me that I need to do more. Uh, I never feel like I do enough. So more, more, more. Uh, why don't we go with the last question? We're celebrating you at Indy Nathan. Good man loves IndyCar at Indy Nathan. Please follow him. Good guy, for real. 
Uh, it says, does Indy Light switching to Firestone help IndyCar by putting similar rubber down? Yes. Uh, or does being the same brand not necessarily mean the tire compounds will be similar? Uh, they won't necessarily be the same, but they'll be in the same family. Where this could be of great benefit would be a race weekend where it's IndyCar and Indy Lights, period. Uh, keep in mind that our show partner, Cooper Tires, still heavily involved in the road to Indy, USF Juniors, USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000. So as we often happen, there's usually some, one of those three, or I should say at least one, of the Anderson Promotions, Cooper Tires, Shod, Junior Open Wheel Series racing with Indy Lights alongside IndyCar. So Indy Lights moving to Firestone, it'll be good in terms of those drivers having a, a, a good feel and understanding of uh, what those tires are like theory and hopefully when they get to IndyCar there'll be some similarities in behavior keep in mind there's also the alternate compound used in IndyCar and road and street courses which you're not going to get any feeling for in Indy Lights but we could and would still have uh, the other road to Indy ladder series involved at many of the same events so it's not like we're going to eliminate any non-Firestone rubber from being put down it's not uncommon at some of these events to have a little local touring car or GT series run or super stadium jumpy truck. So, yeah, it's a little hard to have a clean weekend with everybody on the same rubber. But at least here in theory with Indy Lights, um, it'll help out a little bit for sure. All right, y'all. That's all I got for this week. Uh, appreciate you. Thanks once again to Jerry Suddeth for putting all the questions together. And... I think I need to have a guest. Uh, been meaning to ring Jack Harvey uh, and check in with him and maybe one or two other drivers. Kirk Kirkwood as well. So try and get some more uh, Weekend IndyCar driver interviews going for you here and get some of those uh, crew team folks and we'll have a little party here. So nonetheless, thanks to you. Thanks to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Speak to you soon. And claps from Mrs. Pruitt. Listen to that. <laughs> <laughs>